I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we have another uh, segment on the end of the season. This time we're talking about Lester with Jim Knight, who you can find on Twitter at JimKnight88. He also uh, works for Perform, so be sure to check out all of their stuff. I also uh, work there, so <laughs> go appreciate us over there. Uh Jim, another thing we share in common was the match yesterday, a nine-goal thriller, depending on which side of the aisle you sit on, I suppose. Um, what were your views on that uh, ridiculous match? Yeah, for all the um, for all the abuse that Claude Puel has been getting um, from sections of the Leicester fan base about his playing style and about what he's, um, you know, how the fans are, are somewhat unhappy with the way he's setting the team up. Um, ending the season with a 5-4 defeat, which is more kind of representative of a uh, NBA Finals uh, match than a, uh, a traditional football match was <laughs> quite a way to answer some of those critics, I think. Now, the great thing about that was that the attacking side seemed to be set loose, similar to how it was against Arsenal in midweek. Um, the downside was the defending was abysmal. Um, and, you know, for a manager that is supposedly very defensively resolute and defensively orientated, let's not forget he was sacked by Southampton after finishing eighth and getting to a cup final because the fans were seemingly so unhappy with the way that he set the team up and the lack of entertaining football um, that they saw, particularly at St Mary's. Um, it's concerning that we were quite so um, defensively susceptible to repeated errors but then again it's the end of the season it felt like well I know Tottenham still technically had something to play for kind of especially with the Harry Kane um golden boot um, yeah, and with third place on the line and, and... Fourth, yeah the top four but ultimately everything was kind of settled it just felt like a bit of a free-for-all like an end of season it was it was this end of season blowout basically um that was a bit like a five-a-side football game where everyone just kind of went well we're just going to try and score one more than you we're not actually that bothered about defending um so yeah it was obviously an entertaining match it was probably quite a fitting way to end Tottenham's um Wembley kind of hiatus um based on 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 that, um, but yeah, it it was a frustrating uh, watch as a, as a Leicester fan, but ultimately, um, you know, ha- had no real consequence. And actually, as much as a five four defeat is is seems a negative because you conceded four goals, combined with the Arsenal result, might actually give Puel a little bit more uh, comfort going into the summer because there's been so much speculation about his future that um, you know scoring seven goals in two games uh, when he's been lambasted for defensive kind of football, which is really negative and, and not very entertaining at all, is probably not a bad thing. Yeah, and we'll get back to Puel in a second. But in the match yesterday, Vardy and Mahrez both get on the score sheet. Uh, it seemed like a, a combination from years gone by until 
looked more into the statistics, and it turns out Vardy and Mars both had amazing seasons. Why do you think they kind of flew under the radar this time? Um, because we didn't win the Premier League, and people assume ah. that unless you win, uh, a lot of the time, I think this is true of the footballing media in general, they they tend to um, assume that unless you're winning something, you can't be doing that well. Like I think this is probably applicable to, to Manchester United as well um, and the way they performed this year. Now, you know, they've ended up um, the season um, on 81 points, which I think is probably more than they've had for four or five years. Um, I'd have to double check that, but I certainly can't remember many seasons in the in the kind of recent his, uh, the recent past. Certainly since the Fergie era, where they they topped eighty points, um, and although they've you know they've done extremely well, and again there's been caveats to that that they've not done um, maybe as well as was expected, or not you know not got enough on Manchester City to to make it competitive title race. But nobody has, and that shouldn't necessarily take away from their. Uh, performances in isolation and it's the same with Leicester really um, the, you know, there have been some stellar performances from the likes of Vardy and Mahrez uh, throughout the season it's just been so, it's been relatively inconsistent and peppered with um, you know, the disappointment of sacking yet another manager um, again struggling to, we're a club with a bit of crisis of identity I think at times, um, that, that title winning season was obviously incredible and will almost certainly never be topped you know, almost in the history of top flight football, let alone in the um, in the Leicester sphere of things. It's more about, I think, about people trying to work out what we are now. Um, and that's, I think, partly why performances like that sometimes go under the radar, because those players, you know, while the Premier League was a huge kind of, not a fluke, but it was one of those outliers, um, you know, that's going to live long in the history of the the underdog stories of football, a lot of the parts of that story were that Vardy and Mahrez particularly are two massively talented players and capable of real, real top, you know, top four level performances. 20 goals from an England striker in the Premier League is is a rare achievement, um, you know, even before the Harry Kane uh, emergence, you know, obviously goal machine that he is. And he's kind of diluting the standard now, I think, because he's getting so close to 30 every year. But England strikers getting 20 goals in a, in a domestic season, it, it isn't that common. Um, and again, Mahrez's kind of numbers, you'll know them probably better than I will, but his goals and assists um, are, are, are... 20 and are, 2. Yeah, you know, not, uh, not off the scale, but, you know, they are top four level player I think um, and he's shown that he can do it at, at that level um, against those big teams um, which is probably a bit more confusing as to why it doesn't come to the fore a bit more because certainly you know in the last couple of years we've we've thrived against big teams um, the performances against big teams this year haven't been great especially away from home but there are still some notable wins over like Tottenham we've got a 2-2 draw of United beat Arsenal obviously um, in, in midweek um, at the King Power Stadium so it's weird that I think it's all in, it's all about context. If we hadn't have won the Premier League, I think those performances essentially would have been a lot more lauded than they are now. Um, I think it's because it's viewed through the spectrum and the lens of they're not winning the Premier League, so we're kind of not the story anymore. Um, and, you know, it would be different and interesting. You know, obviously, I hope this doesn't happen, but particularly with the Mara situation, if he was to move on this summer, it'd be interesting to see if he put up those kind of numbers at a Manchester City, for example, um, if they came back in for him. 
Um, you know, how would that kind of season be viewed? Would it be viewed as a, a failure? Would that be the benchmark because he's in a better team overall, therefore he's expected to do better? Um, or would it be seen as, you know, a, a, a worthy accolade that he'd achieved those numbers in that team? And despite the fact that he's done it essentially at a, a lot lower uh, quality team, uh, and it kind of seems to slip under the radar a little bit. Yeah, they were they were certainly very good this season. You also kind of started to see some refreshing in the squad in terms of youth players uh, and younger players starting to make their mark. Damari Gray started getting more minutes. Uh, Chilwell finally developed at left back, started getting minutes for you there as well. Harry, Harry Maguire proved a very good signing last season. And Didi uh, is being sought after by a lot of uh, big clubs at the moment. Uh, how important is it that this young core is coming through? And do you think they'll push anyone out the door or maybe the other way? might be kind of blocked to a place of the starting team by summer dealings? Yeah, it's difficult. I think the change of managers probably hasn't helped. Um, although what you're saying is very true, uh, we've got several kind of younger players coming through. I almost think like they would have probably been more established in the team had we had a consistent manager in the last kind of two and a half years. Because the problem is that when you bring in a new manager, they almost go back to the tried and tested formula a lot of the time because they're so concerned about making an immediate impact. And it's the same argument as to why youth players don't often come through at places like Chelsea. Um, you know, they are so reliant on the here and now from a, a commercial perspective, from a managerial perspective. You know, managers at Chelsea average like two years at most. Um, you know, you might get the other one that gets a third season, but they normally don't see out that third season. Um, managers are so beholden to the here and now. They don't almost have chance to plan long term. Um to build a squad um, from a, a youth perspective. And that, and that's a shame because there are probably a lot of younger players that have to go to places. This is essentially how we built the title winning squad. Um, you know, the Danny Drinkwaters and Jamie Vardy's um, had slipped under the radar at, at big, at relatively big clubs. Vardy not so much as some of the others like Drinkwater and the guys that had come in from Manchester United, I guess. But the point remains that if you're not willing to give those players a chance, then how are they going to develop? But again, that's an inherent risk because younger players are inexperienced and will probably make mistakes. But it's a vicious circle because how are they supposed to learn unless they get those minutes and they make those mistakes? And you have to kind of, you have to view it through a slightly different lens. You know, the mistakes that Ben Chilwell makes, you wouldn't expect Christian Fuchs to make, but that's because Christian Fuchs is a decade older and has had that experience of various competitions around Europe. Um, and you hope that Ben Chilwell will develop into a player that is of that ilk. Now, he's obviously viewed that way on the under-21 scene. You know, he's regularly um, starting left-back for, for England's under-21 team. And so is Damari Gray on that left-hand side. You know, it's a great combination, but they need time um, to develop. And it, it can be a frustrating experience. I know Damari Gray is a polarising uh, character now um, within the squad a little bit because... He has that air of, it's, I hasten to, to compare him to Mahrez, but he has that arrogance about him that he knows he's mm. good. Um, he knows what he can do and he has flashes of brilliance, but he just isn't as consistent as Mahrez. So people will jump down his throat for a poor decision in the final third or a finish that's, you know, take, he takes a shot from the edge of the box and it goes 10 yards over the bar and, you know, when you're losing the game or whatever, and people will get on his back for that. Um, and part of that is down to him having to improve his decision-making as well. This is, is you know, it's not a one-way thing. It's, it's two-way. You are, as a fan, a lot more accommodating, I think, if you see signs of progress. Um, so, yeah, it's great that we've got a squad that's coming together. I hope that we can keep them together um, because that's one of the main problems when you bring through talented uh, youngsters. And Chilwell's signed to a relatively long-term deal. 
Uh, Damari Gray has got a relatively long-term deal as well, but has been subject to quite a lot of interest, particularly from Bournemouth. Um, so it would be interesting to see if he viewed that as a better move for his career, where he probably would be a starter every week. Whereas now he's kind of gone back to, he, st- he did start against Tottenham, but he doesn't start that many games still. Um, he was one of the main um, kind of positives of from a Puel perspective when he first came in, because he did seem to like what Gray was doing. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of blockers, there are the problem is there are established players, um, <clears throat> particularly Mark Albrighton um, in midfield, who you know is such a consistent player, um, and it's very very difficult to necessarily drop him for like a Damari Gray or uh, because he's such a good crosser of the ball and he almost does something that no one else does in our team. We don't really have out and out wingers apart from Albrighton. We have inverted kind of wide forwards that like to cut in and shoot from the angle of the, the 18 yard area, like you know, like Mares does the tap, the classic kind of drop the shoulder, cut in and curl the ball into the top corner, and that's fantastic. But Albrighton is your old school. Um, winger that will get chalk on his boots to use the old cliche get to the byline and swing a ball in um so it's different you know it's different approaches and it's different styles of play um but hopefully you know those those players will develop i think there's i think that's one of the things in puel's favor the developing of young players um and what he's done in his in his coaching history um so you know if he's to remain in situ um, then hopefully that will be to the benefit of the likes of Ndidi, who looks a real, real quality player. I'm so excited about what he could be. Um, you know, having seen players come through our midfield in the last few years, we've been spoiled by um, Angolo Kante and then Esteban Cambiasso, um, Danny Drinkwater to some degree as well, uh, in terms of quality central midfield players that fitted our style. And Ndidi is just that, I've said it a few times on the pod before, but he really reminds me of like Yaya Torre when he was actually trying uh, and not whinging about birthday cake. <laughs> he's just, he's built like... Um, you know, a linebacker, he's huge, he's strong, he's powerful on the ball and he loves taking the ball forward. But he can also do that whole box-to-box thing of tracking back and making interceptions and making tackles. Uh, sometimes to his detriment, um, his discipline hasn't been the best this year and he's been probably on the on the unlucky side a couple of times to be showing second yellows and stuff. But if he can, you know, if he can work on that basis, um, it's no surprise to see him being linked with with big, big clubs because I think he's a player that at his age, uh, he's still got plenty of development in him and, you know, he could really become something special as well. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Puel and his impact there a few times. Uh, what did you make of his tenure thus far, and do you think it'll continue into next season? It's difficult. I, I think the public opinion has probably shifted um, from wanting him out after the West Ham game, which was absolutely abysmal, um, to two. And again, this is how fickle uh, football fans are. But also, you know, in talking about sample size, an extra two games is probably an extra 10% on the sample size of Claude Puel's managerial career at Leicester. So we haven't had that much to work with. It started out really positively. Uh, he came in with kind of December time and we got a couple of good wins, um, particularly when we went to Southampton, which I, th- I think felt like a, a pivotal moment for him uh, going back to his old club. And we, w- we went and won 4-1 and obviously Southampton have, have paid the price for some pretty uh, poor performances at, at this season uh, generally. And they've just stayed up and they, they kind of flirted for relegation for probably a lot longer than they needed to do due to some of those poor performances, uh, like losing at home to us. Um, but that felt like an important performance for him. And I think we, you know there was a real genuine air of optimism around at that time. And then after those four initial wins, it really kind of stuttered. And I think it was, I think it was four wins in 19 from then onwards um, in the Premier League. And, you know, that just, you know, for a team that know were the again, it goes back to this um, kind of expectation level. Uh, we finished ninth this year, which is where we should be as a club. It's just the journey of getting there has been not in the way you would expect. Um, I think, or I think a lot of supporters would expect. You know, we were we were ho- holding out hopes, particularly when Burnley were going through that sticky patch about ten or fifteen games back, where they just couldn't seem to get a win. Um, you know, that we could push on and, and potentially take seventh spot. And even Arsenal, when they were really wobbling, we were looking at sixth thinking there could be another European tour in this. Um, and it just kind of never came to it. It never came together. Um, it is really difficult to know because I think, like I say, the, there's been some very vocal uh, disappointment with Puel, more so than I can remember for any manager, um, certainly in the last kind of decade or so. Uh, booing of substitutions, you know, certainly against West Ham, there were chances if you don't know what you're doing and you're getting sacked in the morning from the home fans. And now, you know, <laughs> what? yeah, no, genuinely, um, it wasn't a, as widespread, uh, but it did happen um, from some sections of the fan base. So, you know, that is, it's difficult because the guy has done essentially what we wanted him to come in and do. It's just how much is now put on, the style and the way you get to the results that you get almost as are as important, I think, to some people as the the, the results themselves. Um, you know, the process is just as as important as the product, the end product. Um, and he has a group of players that are, f- for the most part, pretty exciting to watch. You know, Mares, um, Vardy, Damari Gray, Mark Albright. These are guys that are exciting. And, you know, we brought in like Adrian Silva and Wilfred and Diddy and, Vince, and Vicente Bora, who's good to watch as well. Um, we don't have a particularly defensively minded squad. And it almost felt like this, the team were playing with a handbrake on it many times and losing games, tight games um, through defensive lapses of concentration and, and 
uh, overly defensive tactics, uh, which never will engender you to uh, a new fan base. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult... I genuinely couldn't call it. I think it's 50-50 um, to see if he's going to be there next season. I actually think it was a, l- a lot more like 80-20 two games back. And I think he's really swung it back in his favour in the last two matches, despite that 5-4 defeat at Wembley. Um, I think that might well have just swung the owners in the chance to, to, to give him a summer. And that's the other point to this. Like, he came in in December... Um, you know, or at the end of 2017, and really only had has had one transfer window to impress upon the team the kind of changes that he wants. And even January transfer windows are very, very difficult to get wholesale changes made because transfers are difficult. It's the middle of the season. Whereas now we've got the new kind of summer transfer window being shortened and he's got the opportunity after the World Cup to, to assemble a group of players that he thinks can play in the way he wants to. Now, maybe a better defensive lineup. Uh, with the likes of Wes Morgan potentially being edged out towards the, the door or to, to the sidelines a bit more. Uh, a replacement for Danny Simpson at right back and, and you know, building a team around um, that spine of Maguire and Diddy and Jamie Vardy um, and, and using players like Chilwell to complement that who are, you know, really promising youngsters. Maybe we'll be having this conversation again in six months' time and we'll be thinking, we'll be saying, you know, what were we even worried about? He's had a chance to impress upon the club and the board and the team what he wants and he's got us there. Um, I think it was just that people were almost very quick to to jump on this defensive mentality. Uh, but he seems to have pulled out a couple of really important performances, if not results, when he needed it. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you uh, to follow that up with a season review, but you kind of did it in there. So uh, There you go. Just taking out two questions in one go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely nailed it. And it will be interesting to see if you stick with Puel, because um, especially seeing uh, the Southampton fans uh, uh, bemoan so much how well he, he started with you guys and then kind of lost steam a little bit. But as you say, ninth place feels about right. I mean, it's yeah. funny to say you wouldn't end up in the top six considering you won a title two seasons ago. But it's kind of like with Everton, where they were just so angry about Allardyce and their play style, but they finished eighth. And I don't think they would have finished much higher than that, regardless of how they played. So Yeah, I, this is the thing. I think, you know, football fans... It's so linear now. It's success or failure. There is very little grey area in the middle where people are happy. Um, you, it, you know, it's either it's a polarising situation. Um, you're either very, very happy or very, very disappointed. And actually, if you look at like the top half of the table, you've got teams like Leicester, Everton, as you said, Burnley are on the ecstatic end of that scale. Uh, because of what they've For achieved sure. and rightly so they've been fantastic one place above them you've got Arsenal who are probably bitterly disappointed with sixth conflicting issues around their manager again Chelsea fifth place not good enough outside the Champions League but six doesn't go into four um, you know yeah. you've got six teams there that genuinely feel that they should be Champions League every year year in year out but that can't happen for them to be Champions League it means that two other teams at least out of that group of six unless you get a random intruder like Leicester then th- they have to be pushed out and someone has to pay the price of that and that only exacerbates this issue around success or failure and very little um, mitigating circumstances or, or, or kind of middle ground um, which which just makes it even harder for for managers, I think, um, to to try and get a to try and build a project at a club, not even a legacy, but a project, because you lurch between success and failure to such a degree that as soon as you're teetering too much towards failure or perceived failure, you're out the door. 
Yeah, it's a topsy-turvy league, that to be sure, but uh, we just recorded with Ghetto, and I'm sure you'd much rather be in this one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and that's the other side of it. I think a lot of fans are, you know, I heard someone say the other day, and it was quite a poignant point, that, you know, apart from the top six, I think it was on Sunday Supplement um, mm. it, it, on Sky in the UK, they were saying, apart from the top six, there are 14 teams in that Premier League um, that are one bad transfer window or one bad season away from relegation. Um, and it's kind of true, you know, Leicester sacked Ranieri because they legitimately thought we were going to get relegated. Everton sacked uh, Koeman when they thought they were going to get relegated. Yeah. And, and you know, fan, despite the fact that Everton has spent 200 million, now there are, there are points around how you spend it and that kind of thing. And, what you know, there are lots of other mitigating circumstances. But even Everton, you know, who've gone on to finish eighth, aren't immune from that, looking over your shoulder nervously and pulling the trigger on a managerial change um, for the fear of relegation and what that means to the club and for the kind of long-term future from a financial and, and playing perspective. So, mm. you know, this is just going to keep becoming a self-perpetuating thing now uh, where I think, you know, unless you're able to absolutely pull a miracle out of the fire, even, you know, not even winning the league, but like a, a Sean Dyche Burnley um, kind of performance. And again, that's a bad example, actually, because Burnley is so um, happy with, with what they've got and kind of building a project that they're the kind of opposite that proves the rule. Um, and they've got the rewards from that. But like you say, had they changed their manager when they got relegated the first time and, and got rid of Dyche, would they have come straight back and then achieve what they've achieved this year? Probably not. Um, it's difficult to say, obviously, but you know they are proving the other end of the spectrum. If you stick with the manager, even through relegation, sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world because you're able to build and come back from that. And two years down the line, they're now going to be playing European football. Yeah, it will be fun to watch uh, Burnley in Europe next season. Um, we just discussed kind of that disappointment uh, that you mentioned earlier. Because you won the title, so everything after that kind of feels a little muted. But also, you want to stay in the Premier League. Uh, is just anything better than seventeenth okay for Leicester next season, or is it top ten, or is it hopefully pushing uh, further up the table? Yeah, I think what we've seen this year is that seventeenth and above isn't good enough um, this year. Um, and there have been two managers now that have kind of paid the price for that. Um, I think we are now in a position where a lot of our fan base and the infrastructure around the club and the transfer spending to some degree, the spending on wages probably more and the new contracts and the, and the players that have been bought in on big contracts probably dictate that a top half finish is the aim. Um, I don't think anyone's probably, again, I don't know if you get sacked for finishing 11th. Um, it might be interesting to find out. And I think, it, again, it would depend on how you got there rather than the fact that you did end up there. Um, but the club have ambitions to be better than mid-table, and that's admirable. Um, but it's also, again, if you then start looking at Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester City as being your direct comparison, if you do finish ninth, that's going to feel like a negative. Um, there's talk of expanding the stadium uh, and putting another, I think it's another 6,000, um, capacity onto the onto the stadium, which would make it, you know, a real kind of instead of just an identical thirty-two thousand seat stadium that starts you move move you towards forty thousand, which puts you in an echelon where um, 
uh, from a from an audience perspective, you sell more tickets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like the club are on the move um, under the, the King Power ownership. So I think next year we'll be looking at a top ten finish again um, with the kind of outside shot of Europe, which I think is what I said at the beginning of this season. But I think this is just this season's probably just proved my point that it's as much about stylistic issues and how you're perceived to be playing rather than just your bare form and results, um, which, you know, could be a positive, but could also be a massive negative. If you're Claude Puel two weeks ago, um, having your own fans sing about you getting sacked um, when you're probably sitting in, in still in ninth place at that point. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, you uh, enjoy the season next year. That'll do it for us today. Uh, Jim, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 As Kev mentioned, I work for a company called Perform, and we run a lot of sports media-related uh, outlets, so Goal.com and Soccerway. I'm, I'm across the betting side of a lot of that, so... Uh, if betting on football is your thing, then um, give us a, a look um, on Twitter or, or on the site. Um, there's loads of stuff coming up ahead of the World Cup, uh, including some cool fancy football stuff as well. So um, that's all to come in the next few months and then obviously leading into the new season as well. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm sure we'll speak soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.